If you've got your Bibles with, you can open to 1 Peter 5. We're looking at the first 11 verses this week, and then next week we'll be looking at the last few verses, and we'll be done with the book of 1 Peter and moving on to another book of the Bible, which I'm not going to tell you yet. But it'll be a fun one. It'll be a fun one. I've never, the next one is going to be something from the Old Testament. If you haven't noticed, I try to switch back and forth from Old and New Testament. And it's one from the Old Testament I've never preached through before, but I've always wanted to. So it'll be a, it'll be a fun one to go through. Um, but before we come to God's word, let's come to him in prayer one more time and ask him to be with us here. Father, again, we come and we just give you thanks for being a God who speaks to us. And who speaks to us through his word. Lord, we, we thank you for not being far and removed from us, but a God who's active right here in our presence and who speaks to us. And so we pray that you would do that now as we come to your word, that you would speak into our hearts and you'd speak clearly and powerfully to us. Guide us, Lord, and shape us to be the people you would have us to be. And so we pray that anything that may distract us from hearing you or being shaped by you, Lord, would, would be removed from us and that we would be able to hear you clearly. And so we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So First Peter 5, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. So a little over, not a little over, any overconfidence is really a dangerous thing, right? I'm sure we've all maybe experienced that in ourselves or we've at least watched it in someone else's life. We've watched somebody try to confidently do a cartwheel and have it not go so well. Or 
confidently, watch somebody confidently try to jump over something and see, you know, pretty much any video you watch on America's Funniest Home Videos is the result of overconfidence, right? I mean, and so if you've ever watched America's Funniest Home Videos, you know that, that overconfidence can be a bad thing. And the Apostle Peter, the one who's writing this letter, um, he knows all about overconfidence. And uh, if, if you remember this incident that happened the night before Jesus was crucified, he, he looked at Peter, whose name is also Simon, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you, all the disciples, as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. You hear Peter's overconfidence there? I mean, Jesus tells him, Peter, Satan's coming for you and he's going to come hard. And I've prayed to you for you, Peter, in particular, that your faith would not fail. You are going to turn away. But I pray that your faith isn't going to fail. And when you turn back, you need to strengthen your brothers. And Peter goes, nah, Satan doesn't have anything on me. I'll follow you wherever you want me to go, Jesus. I'll go to prison for you. I'll be killed for you, whatever. And Jesus goes, no, you won't. He said, Peter, by, before the next day comes even, you're going to deny me. Not once, not twice. But three times. And Jesus is gracious enough to tell Peter, who's the oldest of the disciples, he, he didn't tell him that it was a small servant girl who was going to cause him to fear so much to deny Jesus. And so, so Peter knows some of the dangers that come with this overconfidence, this kind of braggadocious character. He knows what happens when pride creeps in. He knows the downfall and the damage that can happen as a result of it. So then he, so he writes this, this section and he's writing to the elders of the church and he's writing to the whole church and telling them we need to be humble and that humility is a big deal. Um, Saint Augustine, kind of a, a famous church leader, um, was once asked, what is the essence of the Christian life? What is the core of the Christian life? And he said, First, humility. Second, humility. Third, humility. It's, it's the core of the Christian life. It's humility. And so that's what Peter's talking about. And he starts off talking to elders. And he doesn't use the word humility when he's talking to elders. But everything he's saying to elders and about elders is drenched in the requirement of humility. He says, elders... You need to be a shepherd of God's flock, the one that's under your care, and watch over them. And it's, I always like to preach through these because it's important for all of us to be aware of what, um, what the role of an elder is. Whether you're an elder or not, <laughs> if you're an elder, this has a particular pointedness to you. But if you're not an elder, it's important for you to know the task that God has called your elders to do in the church. And he's called them to shepherd. 
and to watch over the flock that is God's. And and I always emphasize that because it's a pretty big deal. Because he emphasizes, be shepherds not of your flock, but be shepherds of God's flock. That that this flock here is is not mine. I'm an elder as a pastor, and we've got other elders. It's not. This isn't my flock. It's not their flock. It's not my church. Or it's God's church, and you're God's people. Which which has a weight to it for elders, right? I, I've been put in task of shepherding God's sheep. Um, there's a heaviness to that, and there's a there's a privilege to that as well. But but it also teaches us as elders that. The way we shepherd is we don't get to shepherd whatever way we want to shepherd. We have to shepherd the way that God has told us to shepherd his sheep. And that means watching over them. Keeping an eye on what's going on, right? As Rachel was talking about David, right? Leading them into green pastures, leading them beside quiet waters, leading them sometimes through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, it sometimes means fighting off bears and lions and wolves. Not literally. I suppose in some parts of the country, literally, but, but not so much here in Beaver Dam. But it means protecting and, and feeding and caring for. Um, but it means keeping an eye out, which not all elders appreciate doing, right? I mean, and not all sheep appreciate elders keeping an eye on them, right? Some, some people, get your nose out of my business. You don't, you don't need to be poking your nose in this. This is nothing to do with you. And an elder doesn't want to be, do that, right? So they kind of watch. They try to be careful. They don't want to stick their nose in everyone's business. And there's a point, I suppose, where you could go overboard. But the reality is God has called elders to watch over the sheep. Keep an eye on them. They've told, God has told an elder to stick his nose in your business a little bit. Um, for your sake and for the elders' sake, right? And so if the elders were to watch, just kind of stay away and just watch people run amok and do whatever they're wanting to do, and if an elder were to watch a sheep live in sin and not say anything and just kind of keep their nose out of their business and look the other way, that actually would result in judgment on both of you because that sheep would end up just keeping walking down the road to sin and destruction and it results in judgment because God had told the elder you better say something about that. And so we don't like it. <laughs> and, and trust me, if an elder ever comes and talks to you about sin in your life, uh, they've been, there's a bad feeling in their stomach <laughs> when they have, nobody comes and does that with just a chipper joy. They've, they're coming because they really care for you. And so it's important to know that that's part of our job. But as we're doing that job, Peter tells elders there's a certain way that God wants you to fulfill the task of an elder. And it's a list of don't do it this way, but do it this way, right? And so if you, if you see the, the don't do it this way, it's because those are all temptations of any form of church leadership. He says, don't be an elder because you have to, because you must but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Don't be an elder pursuing dishonest gain for any sort, but eagerly to serve. Don't be an elder lording it over those entrusted to you, but be an example to the flock. 
Right, so, so don't just be an elder because you feel guilty about it, because somebody twisted your arm into doing it. Don't, don't be an elder because you're hoping that you're going to get into kind of a position of power in the church and you get some prestige because you're an elder. Don't do that. Don't be an elder who's whacking people over the head with their authority. That's not what we're called to be. We're called to be elders who are willingly stepping into the role that God has called them to eagerly serving and then leading by example, um, which is why you'll never find me um, grabbing anybody by the arm and trying to twist them into being an elder or a deacon for that matter, or trying to guilt someone into being a deacon or an elder. Because if you have someone serving in church leadership who's doing it because they were guilted into it, um, they're actually going against Scripture. So don't do that. Don't serve in that way. Serve because God has called you to, to the position, because you're eagerly doing it, and because you're, you're leading by example. And so I would just personally, especially because of Scripture, I would rather have two elders who feel called and eager and ready to go than six who are doing it just because they felt guilted into it. And so that's a big, that's a big deal. And so elders are called to do this, and to live this out. And when they do that, when they, when they live this out, they serve their calling um, willingly and eagerly and leading by example. Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears, when Christ appears, these elders will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. That there's this reward in it for faithful service. And the reality is every one of those things, everything that Peter's talking about in here, requires humility. In, in Philippians 2, uh, verses 3 and 4, I don't have it up on the screen, but you can just go look at it at home. It says, it defines humility as considering others as more significant than yourself. Not looking out only for your own interests, but looking out for the interests of others, right? So that's humility. Considering others more significant than yourself, not looking out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. And that's why an elder shouldn't be domineering in their leadership, right? If you're domineering in your leadership, it's become all about you. Do what I tell you to do. Doggone it. Right? That, that's not humble. That's why we're not trying to step into being an elder for our own personal gain or prestige or power because it's not about us. It's not about us. I'm, we're stepping into this role because God told me to be in this role and I'm listening and obeying Him. It's, it's why we, we, we lead willingly and we lead by example because humility tells us it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about God. And it's about His people. And in order for anybody in church leadership to fulfill their role, you need to be humble. But Peter says humility has to, isn't just about church leadership. It's about everyone in the church. And so as, as church leaders are called to lead by example and to kind of be out in the front, one of the ways they're to lead by example is to lead by humility. And so he, he looks to the rest of the church and he says, Oh, I do have Philippians up on the screen. Look at that. I was more prepared than I thought. He looks at the rest of the church and says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. And all of you, every one of you, 
clothe yourselves toward, with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And so he, he, he reminds in particular the younger members of the church. Because as we're younger, we all have a little bit of a rebellious streak in us and a little bit of a, right? I'm going to do this my way. Right? So he says, hey, younger members of the church, submit to the elders. Um, But he's talking to the rest of the church, too. In other places, they say the rest of the church, too, needs to submit to the elders. But in particular, those of us who have maybe a little bit of a rebellious streak, a little bit of a you can't tell me what to do, he says, Submit to the submit to the elders. Help the elders lead willingly and eagerly and joyfully. Don't don't sit and bicker and fight with them every step of the way and make their job miserable. Try to work with them because it, it works. It's better for you and it's better for them. But he looks at the whole church and he says, "Okay, just all of you. Okay, everyone, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another." That's top to bottom. Church leadership, anybody. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. He says, clothe yourself. I mean, top to bottom, every aspect of your life should be marked with humility. Or, or when you walk out the door and you go out into public, people should look at you and they should say, that person considers other people more significant than themselves. That person isn't looking out for their own interest, but looking out for the interest of others. And he says that's important because, well, God opposes the proud. And he shows favor to the humble. I mean, this is uh, the repeated theme throughout Scripture. And if you go through the book of Proverbs, you'll see it over and over and over and over again. Pride comes before the fall. And the fall comes... Because God opposes the proud. And so when people try to lift themselves up and try to lift themselves up over everybody else, eventually God humbles them, brings them down. And they end up falling into their own traps and devices. But on the other hand, Scripture says the humble God will lift up and exalt. And so Peter says rather than trying to con Constantly lift yourself up in pride or live even pridefully where God's going to come and humble you. He says, what we need to do is we need to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Right? So, so rather than walking around living in pride, he says, humble yourself. And then how do we do that? How do we humble ourselves? We do it by casting all our anxieties on Him, on God, on Christ, because He cares for us. And just, just think about it for a moment. What would, if, if you're living through life and you have all of this anxiety kind of hanging on you, right? And it just hangs on you. There's a weight. When there's anxiety in your life, it just feels heavy and it's burdening you down and and the Bible says, you just give it to God, give it to God. And, and we say, no, I don't want to give it to God. And we just keep hanging on it, right? We don't, we don't want to cast it. We just keep it. Why are we keeping it? We don't trust God. We think we're strong enough. I'm, I got this. 
I'm strong enough to do this. I, I got it under control. And, and maybe we're a little afraid that if we give it to God, he's going to do something with it that we don't want him to do, right? He's going to mess it. Like God's going to mess it up, right? But we kind of, there's something in it like that we feel like, oh, if I give this to God, he's going to do something and he's going to make a mess out of things. And it's pride, isn't it? It's us thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And, and it's pride that eventually leads to a fall because that anxiety will crush you. It'll crush you. You can't carry it. And so Peter says, humble yourself and, and, and take these things and throw them at God's feet. And, and when you find yourself under God's mighty hand, you find yourself in the midst of struggle and suffering, he says, don't fight and kick and scream and yell and, and humble yourself and submit and take that anxiety and throw it on God's feet. And recognize you're not strong enough, you're not smart enough, you can't handle it. But God can, and so you throw it at his feet and you trust him. And that's what humility is. But one of the, one of the real convicting aspects of this, uh, uh, this has been one of my, my favorite verses. You, I reference it every time when we go to pray, right? We're going to cast our anxieties on God and it's all over our house. And, um, so I've spent a lot of time meditating on it. And one of the things as I've meditated on this that I've realized is that all prayerlessness is a result of pridefulness. And that's really convicting. When I start recognizing that, oh, I'm not praying like I should. It's a shot to my heart that, oh, pride is creeping in. I think I've got it under control. There's a, there's a book I would recommend anybody. It's a, it's a little older book. It's by a, a Norwegian guy called Ole Halsby. And the book is just called Prayer. Um, but here's a great quote from the book that has stuck with me. And I recommend that anybody read this book. He says, prayer and helplessness are inseparable. Only he who is helpless can truly pray. Your helplessness is your best prayer. I mean, that's powerful. You cannot pray unless you're helpless. You can't truly pray unless you're helpless. They, they go together. Um, but you could reword this and fit it with our passage and say, Prayer and humility are inseparable. And only the one who is truly humble can truly pray. It's convicting, it's powerful, but it's helpful. And in the midst of our prayers, uh, in the midst of our casting our anxieties on God, he tells us that we also need to recognize that uh, that we have an enemy, (laughs) Coming to get us, right? Peter knows this, right? Jesus said, Peter, who's coming for you? Satan. Satan's coming for you, Peter. He's going to sift you like wheat. He wants to devour your faith. And Peter, in his pride, said, I'm not worried. And it didn't go well. So Peter says, no, church, be humble, recognizing that Satan is coming for you. He's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. But be humble, which means... Be alert and sober-minded. Be, be ready. Be watching it. Don't live fearfully. Um, humility has a bad rap in our culture. And people think humility means coward, weak, 
fearful. That, that, that means nothing biblically. There's, there's a courage and a boldness, but a realization that Satan is looking to devour your faith. He's lurking around, wanting to pounce on you in the midst of any trial that you're in and try to steal and devour your faith. And so he says, watch out for it and then resist him. Standing firm in the faith. Don't just let him get you. Fight him off. But notice how you fight him off. With humility. And notice that he does not say, resist Satan standing firm in your own strength. Or, or resist Satan standing firm in your own intelligence and cunning. Or resist Satan standing firm in your knowledge of God's word. No, he says, in the faith. And what does faith require? You say, I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I I can't do this. I I trust you. I have faith in you, God. That's how you resist Satan. When he comes after you, you you just lean in and you grab hold of God and you say, I can't do this on my own. I need you. And then Satan flees because he failed. Because his attempt to devour your faith only resulted in more faith. Which is humility. And he says, we, we get this firm faith and this firm trust in God by, by knowing a couple of things. And so he says, resist him, stand firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So he says, you, you, your faith is firmed up in the midst of suffering when you know that throughout the world, other Christians are suffering in the same way. And that brings us some comfort. I know it brings us some comfort because I've talked to lots of pastors and other people who, you, 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 when you're suffering in something and then you find out that somebody else is suffering in the same way, it's like, huh, I'm not crazy. I've got other people, right? But there's also this temptation in the midst of our own suffering to think that our suffering is just the worst. That nobody else is suffering as bad as I'm suffering. Nobody else has so many problems going on. Nobody else. And Peter says... No, just look around the world a little bit. Um, there's a lot of Christians who are suffering more than you are right now, with, or the same as you, but even more than you right now. And guess what? God is faithful to them too. He'll be faithful for you. And, and God's been faithfully doing this throughout the history of his people. They've been suffering and he's been faithful. But he also tells us this, and I, this is one of my favorite parts of this whole passage, this um, this is what helps firm up our faith in the midst of struggle as well. Knowing that the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He said we can stand firm in our faith and stand firm against Satan and against suffering, knowing that After we've suffered a little while, God himself will come and he will restore you and he will strengthen you and make you firm and steadfast in your faith. He's going to do it after you've suffered a little while. How long is a little while? Depends on each. It could be months, weeks, years. We don't know. But after you've suffered a little while, he'll come in and he'll restore you, make you strong, firm and steadfast. In his, in his perfect timing and, and, and he'll lift you out of the pit and he's gonna do it because he's faithful. It's not gonna last forever. 
is the beauty of the promise. It's not going to last forever that God will come in and he'll lift you out. He'll put your feet on a rock. You don't know when, but you know that he will do it. And Peter knows this from experience. I mean, just imagine, right? So he, he has this conversation with Jesus before his death. Jesus says, Simon, Satan is going to sift you like wheat. I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers, right? So he says, I prayed your faith isn't going to fail, but you're going to turn away. Because that's why he says, when you turn back. And then strengthen your brothers. And so, so Peter has this, he turns away and he denies Jesus three times. He, he falls. And he's suffering because of it. He, there's guilt and shame and all of this going on inside of him, right? And then, and then there's this really beautiful picture at the end of the Gospel of John. I encourage you all to read it at John 21. It's Jesus and the disciples sitting on the beach. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, come over here. And just imagine what's going on in Peter's mind, right? Oh, I just rejected him. I denied him. The guilt and the shame. And Jesus looks at him and he says, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, then feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Right? Pe- no, I, you know I love you, Jesus. Well, tend, tend my flock. Do, do you love me, Peter? And then he just, of course I do. You know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. And all of the guilt, all of the shame, all of the suffering was restored. Jesus restored him in that moment. And for every denial, Peter said, I love you, I love you, I love you. And, he, and Jesus took Peter on the beach and he himself restored him, made him strong, firm, steadfast in his faith. To the point where years down the road, Peter actually does go to prison and dies for his Lord. But not in his own strength, because he finally learned that he had to do it in the strength of his Savior. That's the truth for us. The same thing is true for each one of us, that we will suffer. We will suffer. I don't even have to say that. We all know that we will suffer. And it says we'll suffer for a little while. Even if that's a few years. Because we know that in the grand scheme of eternity, this lifetime is but a mist. Even a life of suffering is a little while in the grand scheme of things. But in the midst of that, Peter says, we, we humble ourselves and we cast our anxieties on at the Lord's feet, knowing that he cares for us and that he will strengthen us. He will restore us. He will make us firm and steadfast. He's done it over and over and over and over again in our lives. He's been doing it in the lives of his people throughout history, and he's doing it in the lives of Christians all over the world, and he will do it again. And so rather than pridefully trying to hold on to these things and trying to take care of it all ourselves, which we can't do anyway, he says, humbly take these anxieties, throw them at the feet of our Savior, our Father, in faith, trusting him, to handle them and knowing that he cares for us and he will one day fully restore us. Let's pray. Again, Father, we come to you trying to listen to your word now, humbling ourselves and casting our anxieties at your feet. Lord, each one of us comes 
with a different anxiety, a different fear, a different burden. And Lord, we take the opportunity now to throw them at your feet and to trust you with them. Lord, help us to do that. Help us not to trust in ourselves and our own strength, our own ability anymore, but to just dump this at your feet and trust you with it. Lord, we know that you're good. We know that you're faithful. And we ask you to firm up our faith now so we may resist Satan and we also can trust you to firm up our faith and pull us through to the end. And we can trust that you will restore us. And we can look forward to the reward that you have set out for us one day in heaven. And all God's people said, Amen.